This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Parents of little ones can almost breathe a sigh of relief. Pfizer is seeking FDA approval of its vaccine for kids under five. Some estimates say the rollout could start by the end of the month. In Illinois, falling case counts might mean hitting the pause button on vaccine mandates in the near future. And mass mandates for bars and restaurants? Those could soon follow. Joining us to put the latest COVID-19 news into context is infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Taramina with Dooley Health and Care. Hi, doctor. Good to talk to you. Hey, Sasha. Last week, we got word that kids under five might be able to get the vaccine soon. So remind us why it's taken until now. Well, you know, the first studies that came through with Pfizer were looking at a slightly lower dose than what we're even giving to our 5 to 12-year-old group. They were looking specifically at a 3-microgram dose, two doses 21 days apart. And unfortunately, in the 2 to 4-year-old age group, they just didn't get uh, an antibody level as high as we would have liked. It doesn't mean that they didn't work. It doesn't mean that they weren't safe. And for the littlest ones, six months to two years, the antibody levels were quite robust. So the decision was made to go ahead and give a third dose. And in all probability, this will be a three-dose series. But as we are coming down from this Omicron surge and we have a tremendous need to give as many mitigation strategies as possible to everyone in the U.S., uh, they are asking to give the first two doses, knowing that the data will be coming on the third dose, hopefully by the end of March. And if the kids need a third dose, we'll go ahead and give it at that time. So hopefully we will be able to jumpstart vaccinating our smallest kids by as soon as end of this month. Okay, so it is likely that youngsters can get the shot by the end of February. You know, they're meeting on the 15th of February, so I think we'll know a lot more information about which way the FDA is going to go. And then we have to go through all of those subsequent uh, certifying processes to get the green light. All right. Well, today, some schools in the suburbs, they went mask optional, Dr. Taramina. What do you think about this? There's a lot of chaos going on as a, as a mother of a suburban child as well in one of the schools that did go mask optional. Um, as many listeners are aware, um, a temporary restraining order was issued on Friday um, against sort of Pritzker's in-school mask mandates. Um, and this doesn't just go with masking. This goes with quarantining and other things. So there is a variety of responses in schools, anywhere from reverting to a mask optional, no quarantine sort of policy, mm-hmm. which time will tell how this kind of, uh, you know, affects our children, our, our teachers, the ability to stay in school. Um, some schools opted to go ahead and stay with their masking in, in waiting for if there's any appeals. And some schools took an emergency virtual day or an emergency school closure day just to kind of sort through the legal ramifications and implications on trying to keep these kids as safe as possible with as many mitigation strategies in place as possible. Well, well, speaking of mitigation strategies, schools have been advised to take a layered approach, masking, vaccinating, quarantining the, the sick kids and teachers. What happens if you remove masking from that mix? You know, it's going to be a challenging thing to see because we are coming down with case counts and case positivity rates are dropping. I still think this is short-sighted and this is a little too soon. We were so close to reaching a point where we can really have an honest conversation about removing mask mandates in schools. I think that that's coming in, in the weeks to come. By doing this, when we are still on the back end of this 
Omicron surge, at least in some schools, there inevitably is going to be outbreaks that, you know, sort of prolong this inevitable trend downward. And, you know, it's it's likely not going to, you know, impact every school the same way. But I, I am worried about the disruption in the day-to-day for these kids. And already these kids are having experiences where there's peer pressure to be masked or not be masked and whose parents are telling their kids to do what and which teachers have opted to not mask. It's just a lot of social media chaos right now with what's going on today. And it'll be interesting to see if a stay is granted and um, you know they have to revert back to masking while we await uh, an appeals process. So this is going to be a lot of up in the air right now. Meanwhile, Omicron case counts are falling fast, doctor. What is driving this? You know, there's a lot of things that are driving it. It's the natural tendency towards these surges to reach a back end when we have so many people, unfortunately, that were infected with Omicron and are carrying Omicron antibodies. At this point in time, the virus is still looking for susceptible hosts. In addition to the fact that the Omicron surge did prompt a lot of people to go ahead if they were holding out and get those vaccines or get those booster doses. So I think a lot more boosting and a lot more vaccination with the natural downtrend of the virus itself as folks have some natural immunity is leading toward that sort of herd immunity feel. We are you know, weeks away from being in a really, really good place. And I, I'm very anxious about what's happening in the suburban schools and hoping beyond all hopes that those of us in epidemiology and science are, are not accurate and not correct in that there's going to be some spikes of cases among these kids now. And this stealth variant it was detected last week in Illinois. Remind us the difference between the stealth variant and Omicron. So Omicron, this is basically like a sister of Omicron. It's just a, a sub-variant of the Omicron variant itself. So the original Omicron strain is labeled BA1 scientifically, and we have a little bit of a genetic difference in a sub-variant labeled BA2. This subvariant is slightly more contagious, um, but does not appear to be causing more clinical illness or uh, evade any of our available testing or treatment. The difference here and why it's called stealth is in the background when we're looking at genetic testing to determine if a strain is Delta or Omicron. This was a very simple process when it was just Delta and the original Omicron strain. We need an additional step here in order to determine if it's BA2. So that's what makes it stealth. It sort of eludes a little bit of genetic testing, but all of our available treatments that we were using for Omicron and all of our commercial testing we were using for Omicron uh, is, is still working just fine. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're going over the latest COVID news with infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Taramina. Coming up in five minutes on the program, a new documentary follows the legacy of the 1963 Loyola Ramblers basketball team. So stay tuned for that conversation. Uh, Dr. Taramina, we heard from Chicago Public Health Commissioner Dr. Allison Arwoody that vaccine mandates for bars and restaurants they might be rolled back soon if cases continue to go down. How much do the cases have to fall for this to happen? You know, we look at the original kind of uh, epidemiologic 
lines in the sand for low transmission, moderate transmission, high transmission, and, you know, severe transmission. And we've been in these sustained, very high levels of transmission. So we have to look at two different things, not only, you know, positive cases per 100,000 people, but also the case positivity rate. We have so much more testing now that we could sometimes find hundreds of cases per 100,000 people, which is why this entire country still looks red on a map. But when we have sustained positivity rates at 8% or below, we get into that low to moderate transmission where the entire time we've said at those rates, we can start relaxing some of our mitigations. So I can foresee, maybe not this week, but as soon as the week of the 14th or the week after, we could be getting closer and closer to not necessarily having a vaccine passport, so to speak, for indoor spaces in Chicago and looking at indoor mask mandates potentially falling. Again, that might be pushed back by what's happening in the suburban schools right now. We're talking about hundreds of thousand kids right. uh, Im- impacted by the possibility of, of now having higher risk exposures. And this is going to butt right up against spring break and trips like that. So we might have to slow our roll again. Yeah. I mean, Chicago is still averaging about 870 COVID cases a day and people are still dying. So it sounds too soon to relax a safety precaution like that. I'm in agreement. And, you know, the the fact that two years into this, we're still having conversations about masks working or not working is is baffling to me. I mean, we know beyond uh, any reasonable doubt and have the science to back up the fact that properly fitting masks, especially in the context of Omicron, as we've stepped up to recommending KN95s and N95s, we're seeing dramatic decreases in close contact transmission. Masks work and they're an appropriate and important level of mitigation that we've used this entire time. Yep, as vaccines are going up, 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 we can only hope that we will need less of the other mitigation strategies. But at this point, I'm not changing my day to day in any way. Yeah. Well, back to to talking about schools, parents from suburban schools, uh, they're actually calling for the Illinois State Board of Education to provide an off-ramp plan for students. So basically a, a timeline for when kids can stop quarantining and masking. Do we have any idea when that'll be? You know, I think with this whole divorce case and how things are, are going to pan out with the appeal, I, I think time will tell in the next week or two. An exit strategy is something that has been an ongoing conversation. But when we give it to the districts, we're going to see a hodgepodge of what districts are doing what, and some will be more liberal and some will be more conservative in their approach and in their exit strategy. You know, we're, we're into the back half of the school year, and I'd sure as heck like to see these kids have a safe, healthy end of the school year with as many normal activities as they can. And if leaving certain mitigation strategies in place will allow that, that's what we should be doing. But we'll watch the numbers. If we can get to circulating positivity rates that are far lower than they are now and sustain those for a couple of weeks, we could be in a very, very very good place. So time will tell. Um, and I, I hope for the best for these kids, no matter how this, this all pans out. You know, given where we are, Dr. Teramino, what does a normal amount of COVID cases even look like for kids in school? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's going to be, I'd really like to see a circulating positivity rate of 1% to 2%. I don't know if we're going to get back down that low. That's where we hit in June um, of last summer. And mm-hmm. I think that we're going to see numbers come down considerably. But uh, less than 5% positivity rate really gets us to a low level of circulating virus, less than, you know, 10 or 20 cases per 100,000. And we can live alongside that. You know, I, there's still going to be the most vulnerable who get sick. And for those who are immunocompromised who are listening, the CDC just advised a fourth dose, your booster dose, which is a fourth dose, now three months after instead of five months after your third dose. So we want to keep the most vulnerable as protected as possible. And then for the rest of us, it's a matter of, of living alongside an acceptable amount of transmission, hospitalizations, and unfortunately deaths. I've only got you for a few more seconds, doctor. But before we go, I do want to acknowledge a mind-boggling mind, uh, milestone uh, in, in the pandemic. 900,000 Americans have now lost their lives. What's your reaction to that number? And, and are you remaining optimistic? It's hard to remain optimistic two years into this. I mean, we're going to see a million deaths. So we're going to cross that threshold next. And it's it's something that is more than I ever could have imagined two years ago. I remember thinking that if we had done things properly, we could keep this to 200 or 300,000 deaths. And uh, we failed. We failed collectively as a society, but also um, we, you know, had reasons that we just didn't vaccinate and didn't mitigate and didn't do things. And we can always play Monday morning quarterback and, and decide what we could have done differently. Moving forward, this can never happen again. So when this pandemic truly reaches its end, we have to be prepared with what needs to happen for the next one. Absolutely. That is Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist with Dooley Health and Care. Doctor, thanks so much and have a great week. Thanks, you too. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.